You are listening to Missed Apex Formula E podcast. We are charged up and ready to go. Welcome, everybody, back to Missed Apex, our Formula E podcast. I'm your host, Christina Lee Mace, and we are ready to jump in to season ten. Our panelists are Chris Stevens. Hey, Christina. Oh, my goodness. I am so happy to be back making Formula E content for Missed Apex. If you didn't know, we had a show years and years ago, back when I was a Formula E journalist. And I'm just I'm so excited to get back into some current racing action. (laughs) And for anybody who would like to play a fun game with us, keep track of how many electric puns we use. Quite frankly, we're probably not going to be counting, so we will take your word for it. Next up, we have Matt Trumpets joining us. Yep, I'm very excited to be talking about Formula E again, and I cannot wait to start generating content. There's another one. And after being kicked out of his host seat, although he did quite willingly give it up, I will say this was not a hostile takeover in any way. We have Spanners coming to you from an unfamiliar seat. I don't have any electric puns because puns are for posh kids. Uh, But yes, I am more than willing to give up the host seat here. I will try and get on as much as I can during the course of the season because I'm very much back into amateur status for Formula E. I was all in for the first four seasons. And I think I watched the Rome E-Pre last season and I I went, oh, do you know what? I I really want to dive back in. So I'm committed. I'm watching every session of Formula E in 2024. Excellent. For anybody who is not super familiar with Formula E, here's a quick reminder. It is an all-electric racing series. We will be having 16 rounds over 10 different weekends. You have regenerative braking, giving the cars more power, and they have a fun little uh, hybrid sound to them. Some of us have heard those live. I was in Portland last year for the inaugural session. It was really, really fun. And Chris has even had the pleasure of commenting on some Formula E races. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was a journalist for four or five years in Formula E. And then in 2022, I was commentating uh, live on the London E-Prix. So uh, Formula E has been a big part of my career in motorsport media. Excellent. And then, as we've mentioned, we have Matt. How familiar are you with Formula E? Well, I mean, you know, I I do like to say I taught Chris everything he knows (laughs) because the first time he covered a New York race, he came to our house and discovered fireflies, amongst other things. But aside from that, um, I covered uh, two races in New York as a journalist, and I went to a third um, as as, uh, a guest. And so, so I followed the sport. I obviously, in the old days, hosted a show with Chris about Formula E. Uh, but I will say the thing the thing that you are right about is that Formula E is something that you do have to go see in person to really fully appreciate. Everybody should go to a live Formula E race, especially because they're so affordable for anybody who doesn't know. It's under $100, sometimes under $50 to go for the full day of racing. Very, very good deal. It's a very fun time. And a lot of them are double headers too, which means you get two races in two days. It's a fantastic time. Now, let's get into our different teams that we're going to be watching this year. Last year, we had Envision as the 
team's champions. Now, the big question is, can they do that again? They have Sebastian Buemi returning to his seat, but they also have a new driver in Robert Freins. Yeah, Robin Freins coming back to the team that he was a part of a couple of seasons ago. He had a small departure and a very difficult season with uh, Apt in their first year back in the uh, the series. But that combination of Sebastian Buemi and Robin Freins is probably one of the best combinations on the grid. I'd argue the only one that's stronger is the one that their that their manufacturer team has at Jaguar, which is Mitch Evans and Nick Cassidy. Who I'm sure we'll get onto in. Uh, in a, in a little bit but yeah they were teams champions but i think more not so much by default because i think if you look across the the full season last year the jaguar powertrain was probably the strongest across all the races uh, but jaguar didn't quite have the lineup that they had now sam bird has departed from from that team and he was having a very difficult season i think it would be a very tall order for them for envision to repeat that uh, feet this year. I mean, was there ever an explanation as to why Bird didn't get on with the car? We've we've seen parallels in other motorsports when people have changed teams, but he, to me, had always been like one of the drivers who seemed like he could drive. I remember him driving like a crabbed car across the finish line. Like yeah. he, he could pilot just about anything. It's as much changed. Obviously, like I say, I'm I'm honest that I've been out since about season four, but with Sam Bird, he was one of those drivers where you'd use the trope of if you painted all the cars white, you could still tell that that was Sam Bird driving because he just seemed to be wrestling it on the edge. Has has that changed? Well, he was also known as one of the best attackers in Formula E as well. But yeah, something at Jaguar just wasn't quite working right. I'm sure now that he's no longer part of the team, we might start to get some proper explanations of that. Obviously, he's landed at Neon McLaren uh, now so maybe things will will change there for, but for me the, the fact that he's left Jaguar and Nick Cassidy has come into that seat and you know as I said strongest driver pairing on the grid no question about that in my mind uh, that is super formidable and Jaguar has been making a lot of noise lately you know they've got their new headquarters their new remote control facilities that are good enough to be in Formula One, really. And uh, of course, the the developments with the simulator as well. And we've already seen uh, last season how that can completely change a race day for the for the team. And now that it's fully up and running, I think we're going to see that happen more and more. We're going to ha- see it happen throughout the entire season. So even though um, in, obviously in the offseason, they lost their technical director, uh, Phil Charles, uh, but Obviously, all the work on this year's car has already been done. So that's probably not going to have really any effect on on this season, I'd say. I, I, I would very comfortably sit here and say that Jaguar are the favourites for the title, as much as we can say there are favourites in Formula E. Very true. Very, very tight field. And not to mention the fact that they have the two drivers that were right on Jake Dennis's heels throughout all of last season. They're going to be extremely competitive, and it's going to be... I think it's just going to be a delight to watch. I also just love hearing their radio messages. That's, <laughs> to me, that's the biggest joy that you get out of Formula E is listening to those radio messages. And with so much of the grid being completely shuffled out and getting different teammates now for all but three teams, I think it is, it's going to be very interesting. And going back to the point of why Sam Bird didn't potentially work as well as he could have at Jaguar, 
we're already starting to get some like shade being thrown in interviews saying that, oh, yes, Nick Cassidy is doing so much better with this car. It is performing so much closer together, better than we thought. So it's already starting to happen. That little bit of spice that we love Formula E for. I assume that's sarcasm. Is that what makes that spicy? I did read the interview, so who knows what the actual tone was. But in in the defense of Nick Cassidy, obviously he's got a year of that car pretty much under his belt already because Envision were, a, a, well, still are a Jaguar customer. He's moving from the customer team into the works team. So he's been part of the development of that car. Uh, and okay, yes, Sam Bird was also part of the development stage of uh, the the first Gen 3 Jaguar powertrain as well. He's with them for a number of seasons. Uh, but I, I, don't, I just, I get the feeling that something wasn't working for Bird. And we know how good he is because up until the season before last, he was the only driver to win a race in every single season. He's been competitive every year. And then, yeah, suddenly this this year Jaguar hits where I think something started to go wrong and then things started to spiral. And I don't think it's easy being Mitch Evans' teammate uh, as well. And I think this is probably something we're going to have to keep an eye out for as well, because I don't remember there being such a strong pairing in a single team for sure across like manufacturers and customer teams but having it in in, in one team how is Jaguar going to manage that uh, scenario where they might end up one two they might be knocking seven bells out of each other obviously it's quite rare to get one twos in in Formula E these days because the field is so tight but I can see some scenarios come up where they start to trip over each other a little bit in the same way that Cassidy had them with Sebastian Buemi as well when when they were both at Envision they did not seem to get along all that well uh, this is like classic Degrassi apt yeah back when they drove for Audi isn't it I, I remember oh. talking to Alan McNish about that and just the challenges when both of your drivers really want to put it all the way there well the the famous one was when I was with you Matt in New York yeah. when Apt claimed that Degrassi had defied team orders and overtaken him, and they were one two. And, and Apt was unhappy about that, visibly fuming in the press conference. So I spoke to Lucas about it. He said, "No, no, I didn't defy team orders at all." And what happened was there was a miscommunication where Apt believed they had been given team orders, whereas they, in actual fact, hadn't. It was one of those sort of potentially coded messages where they're told to take no risks, and uh, that's easy to get muddled up on very true squeaks agrees good i'm I'm glad editorial uh, decision here from from me as a producer which is that squeaks mcgee uh, christina's cat if if he wants to be on the pod he he can be on the pod it's a feature it's not a bug no other formula e podcast features a cat panelist (laughs) never mind a cat with opinions Mm, very very (laughs) opinionated oh one thing I really want to do now that I know that it exists, have you guys on TikTok seen the cat vision filter? It translates colors into what your cat can see and can't. And I really want to find out which liveries in all of these series the cat can actually identify the difference between. Because Squeaks McGee actively oh cheers for certain cars and will <laughs> smack other ones on the projector screen. It's a It's a whole thing. So now I want to find out. Is it a color thing? Because I suspect it is. 
It's niche content, but who knows? Maybe it bangs. <laughs> who wow, no. knows? Or we oh. could have a squeaks predictor. I've done that. He's successfully predicted a few races from like sitting on top of sticky notes with drivers' names and cars on them. Oh, wasn't in the World Cup, wasn't it Gary the Octopus or something like that, where they, they had all the yeah. things that Gary could go into and he got it yeah. right all the way up to the semifinals. Wild. And then they ate him with uh, Scampi. But going back into the actual cars of it, I'm really excited to see how Sam Bird does at McLaren. Because it felt like last season, McLaren were really on the precipice, even though it was their first year technically being in the race, even though they were really just like slapping their name on a pre-existing, well-performing team. But it still felt like they were really almost a top consistent performing team. You had Jay Hughes that was continuously as a rookie getting almost all the way to the finals when it came to qualifying, just not able to maintain that energy management in the race. But now they have Sam Bird coming in, who hopefully a little bit of a new perspective and might be able to help them pull it over that finish line. Yeah. So the thing about at McLaren, like you, you rightly say, the vast majority of that team is just the remnants of the old Mercedes works team. So definitely a high-performing team. But coming in at the, you know, the start of a new generation of car, everybody's got to learn it from scratch. So you know, we, we see teams like DS, you know, something went from being the benchmark in, in, in Formula E alongside Mercedes to kind of struggling in the initial stages. And it's, it's not just because, they, you know, they're they're learning their powertrains. They've got to learn a whole new car. And we've seen the power that even just a single test day can have. And, and again, it was with uh, DS and, and Tachita uh, because they they turned their season around pretty much with just a single test day. And they learned, uh, you know, so much just with some uninterrupted running. So so everybody's learning um, at, at very different rates about the the new car, but also the big difference for McLaren or in that team in general is that they went from having, you know, a sort of a works deal with Mercedes uh, to, to being a Nissan customer and Nissan, if I were to generalize their performances since coming in, in season five, it would be quick and quality, not as efficient in the race as the other manufacturers, which very much lines up with what we've seen from McLaren's performance so far. Go on. You can have a real opinion now, Chris. (laughs) I just gave it. It's it's facts. One of the things that interests me most about this, uh, and especially with Nissan, because they have tried in the past to do interesting technological stuff, but they've been shut down by regulations. Um, Are they in a position to make some improvements across the season that might see them have better race performance? Or do you think it's down to, and, and I got this from, from chatting with Nick Chester when he, when Mercedes was still there, the last race I went to, or do you think it's more down to just the kinds of mappings and simulations that they use when they're setting up their deployment for the race? For McLaren or Nissan? For Nissan, because you said McLaren's okay. using their power unit, no? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously McLaren they can do you know what they like but at the end of the day they're going to be limited by the hardware eventually yeah so nissan obviously things have changed in the last couple of years so the, last year they bought the entire team uh they had the um the the edams side of the team bought out and now it's all running under nissan uh in its entirety but um 
it's it's interesting that there still seems to be a, a lack of consistency from the team in terms of their performance because we see in races they will like pop up with the podium or they pop up with pole position uh, and then next time they will not make it into the quarterfinals for qualifying uh, or they they're struggling to get it into the points so the the big the saving grace for them is the return of Ollie Rowland uh, because he was their star performer in seasons five six seven and. Uh, however long he was there for in the end, but um, he was, yeah, he that will shake things up a little bit for for the team. Uh, but yeah, in terms of their sort of technical performance, um, I will I will believe big changes when I see them. Fair point. Then we also have the return of a driver that we didn't get a break from last year. We saw him in Formula One instead, but now we have Nick DeVries coming back to Formula E, but this time he's with Mahindra, which is a very hit or miss team as far as performance mm. goes. They had, name we just mentioned, Ollie Rowland exited mid-season with them last year. So it's a team that's in a very interesting position, but they have a returning world champion joining them. Is it is it a little bit of a, a climb down for Nick DeFries, do you think? Uh, what's the paddock like? Do you think he's going to be welcome back? Or do you think it'll be, ah, look at Nick. He thought he was better than us. You're not better than us, Nick. I mean, it seems very much like he's he's been in Formula E for so long. I can't imagine that it would be anything but a welcoming, nice environment from him. And at the same time, Formula E is also a collection of people who have been in Formula One or have had that chance to be in Formula One as well. So it's not like he's in unfamiliar company. They, so many of them have been in a similar situation as him being in Formula One and then all of a sudden not. I have to say that is the one of the things I really, really love about Formula E is that it's such a talented grid. So, you know, we've done comparisons with other motorsport series in the past and gone, oh, okay, would 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 the top 10 indie drivers come in and do well in Formula One and vice versa. I think Formula E is one of those series where you can genuinely go, right, these aren't kids coming through the ranks. They're not people who never were on the ladder. Like, it would be a fair fight if you did a swap between the Formula E. Is that controversial? If you did a, no. a Formula E top 10 go to Formula One and then the top 10 Formula One guys go to Formula E, I think it's close. I think a lot of the F1 drivers would struggle with with Formula E as well just because it's such a complicated sport I, I don't think there's any doubt that formerly e has globally the second best second strongest grid of any motorsport series in the entire world second to formula one obviously it's the only other series in the world where it's stacked with professional drivers who are all paid to be there and are not paying to be there uh instead uh that wasn't always the case particularly in the early stages but uh it's definitely the case now with so much professional um involvement uh for for Nick DeFries it's interesting because he had the um the the Maserati uh, deal before he went to Formula 1 uh which didn't I don't I don't think really surfaced until he was already in Formula 1 but um so he he had that kind of signed and ready and then broke the contract to go and do Formula 1 which of course you would do it's not the first time this has happened it was famously how alex albon ended up in in formula one he had the deal with nissan edams signed and done before he got the call up from the same team even uh toro rosso at the time so uh i yeah i don't know no 
blame on him at all for abandoning Formula E to go and give Formula One a go, but he has kind of come back with his tail in between his legs a little bit and naturally has had to accept a seat that is likely to be lower down the order than oh. what he has grown accustomed to. Obviously, you know, he was with Mercedes all the way through their tenure in, in Formula E. When they departed, he was going to take another seat. Um, so you know, just look at where Maserati was um, last year and compare that to where Mahindra was last year as well, where they had a pretty disastrous season where they were consistently one of the slowest cars on the grid and even had to pull their cars all four of their cars out of a race on safety grounds at one point because they couldn't structurally hold up to a Cape Town uh, race that was, I think. So um, hopefully things will work out a little bit better this season. Well, it leaves an interesting, uh, it leaves an interesting drive for him because as you mentioned, uh, Mahindra, I mean, you do got to like them. They're the closest thing to a garagista, I think, that you'll find <laughs> on the Formula E grid these days. They sort of remind me of Force India a bit in, in Formula One. Uh, but they've had some stellar performances in, in the past. So it's it's not an unreasonable place for him to land, at least for the time being. Uh, but the question really is, is, and I think you put it very succinctly, is whether or not Mahendra can can deliver a car that he, that he can actually be competitive with. And I don't know, uh, in the past, they seem to be very, like they'd be very good at certain circuits and very poor at other circuits. And last year, it sounds like it was a disaster. Do you see them being uh, specifically competitive at certain races? Or, or do you think they really just lost the plot entirely? Well, I feel like I need to be careful what I say now, because Spanners has gone and yeah. grabbed his Mahindra cap. Yeah, I, f- I forgot. I'm a, I'm a Mahindra fan, and this is actually a signed cap, so it is signed by. And I have to remember. I think Bruno Senna and Nick Heidfeld probably, huh? Nick Heidfeld probably. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because it was. Uh, yeah, it's Quick Nick, and was it Bad Luck Bruno at the time? <laughs> well, so, yeah. It was Bad Luck Bruno. Yeah. <laughs> probably <laughs> Nick was um, astonishing. I love um, catching up with Nick. I caught up with him at the the London E when I was commentating, and he's still uh, absolute delight and as quick as he was uh, back in the day but when you're new to a, a sport as we all were back back when Form- formula e started like if you get given a free hat mm. i mean that's enough isn't it so that's me like lifelong mahindra fan and, and now that i've come back in i'm like i'm i'm all in behind mahindra but i am curious if you guys you know you you used to chris have this false oh i'm just a neutral i hope everyone has fun journalism rubbish which is a lie come on who's the team who, when they do well, it makes you go, oh, brilliant. Informally, I mean, uh, I mean, they're all fantastic, and I love them all so much. Obviously, there's a couple Lies. of new teams that Lies. I haven't. Um, absolute liar, filthy liar, absolute the, filth. There's a couple of teams that have come into the the sport since I left and have not really engaged with um, so much. I tell you, there are definitely certain drivers I love seeing uh, do well, and that is obviously Sebastian and, and Lucas. Because when I was a journalist, they were the kings of Formula E and the ones fighting for titles every year and um, had fierce rivalry for many years um, there. And I loved going between them because they were two such different characters and two very misunderstood characters, I felt, um, as well. So I really enjoyed um, talking to them. But obviously, Sam Bird was great. I mean, he's a bit of a lad. Sam is a mensch. He's awesome to talk to. Yeah. Um, 
Jake wasn't around when I was, but I did get a very short chat with him, and and just of, of what I've seen, I do I do like when Jake uh, does well as well, especially because he's a GT3 convert as well, and I love GT3 uh, racing. Um, oh goodness, who else? Who else? Who else? Oh, Antonio Felix da Costa, absolutely love. I've got all the time in the world for Antonio. He's an absolute gem of a person who's a lot of fun to talk to, um, as is Jeff as well. So. I don't know. Is that enough? Is that enough for you? It's like you half the grid. Said you like the entire grid. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Bad. Well, I saw Nick Cassidy win in Portland. And so mm. I'm sorry, but it's very hard to not want to see him continuing to win just from that moment of like, you know what? Saw it go from the start to the end. Sure. We'll continue to cheer for Nick Cassidy. Let's go with that for me. And the bright colored cars. Like, let me watch Envision. Let me watch McLaren. I'll be very happy because I can tell where they are on track. Uh, I'm one of those people. <laughs> and uh, or who had the um, who had the livery with the little flowers? The the Japanese little oh, the lilies. Nissan. What were they? Who had the, that last yeah, year? Yeah, the blossom. The blossoms. Nissan. Yeah, Nissan. Yeah, love them. They also have this really great uh, design your livery program on their website right now. Very very fun if you're into just designing your own livery. You get to pick colors, you get to pick patterns all over the car. It's a really fun little activity for uh, anybody looking for a good couple couple of minutes to entertain themselves with. Uh, what about you, Trumpet? Who's your favorite? Well, uh, I have to be forthcoming. You know how Spanners has a Mahindra hat? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I've got a Mitch Evans wheel sitting right next to me in my office. Oh, and the only reason oh, yeah. it's in my office is because my wife absolutely refused to let me turn it into a table in our living room. I don't know what she was thinking. Why wouldn't you want a oh, smashed up wheel in your living room? <laughs> but there you go. So I immediately have to be a Mitch Evans fan and Jaguar in general, because uh, the last race that I covered as media I remember going down. They'd had a big smash in the support series. What would the oh the Jaguar I I pace I pace I pace E trophy? That was it. Right. <laughs> uh, but I, I had gone down. Well, Alice Powell at the time was racing it. I had gone down there and and I just asked. I'm like, because this is a huge wreck, and you have a race. And I'm like, how does this all work? But it turns out that the guy at Jaguar who was behind this idea was also. Uh, one of the guys in their main team, and it was and it was his idea from the start to make that brand popular. And so when I saw him after the race, he's like, "Hey, kid, do you want a wheel? It's going to the skip. Otherwise, I'm he, like, yeah, he didn't say kid, Matt. Don't okay, don't fine. lie to us. Fine, be that way. Hey, kid, no. I like your moxie. I like your moxie, kid. <laughs> but but basically, he said, "Do you want a wheel?" And I said, "Yes." And then I was stuck trying to get it home, which was a bit more of a challenge than I anticipated. Those things aren't as light as you'd think. So, hats off to everyone who has to change them. The the best thing about having Matt in the pack. So, the one year we did together, right, um, was the because obviously Matt doesn't didn't know like the rules of like the paddock which is don't take no pictures care. Of the, there's not much difference yes they the, don't take pictures of the sensitive parts of the car so Ooh. i was talking to a, like a team principal <laughs> uh do it like with uh, recording an interview i remember and this. um i i took my eye off matt for a moment which was a mistake because suddenly he's going around the back of the car taking pictures of the steering wheel and the battery of the car with the hood off and suddenly the team principal i'm talking to like caught a glimpse of him he's like stop stop what you're doing he did not say that at all, Chris. You, I, may, I might have exaggerated a little by a hundred percent. 
No, and you can tell that I've been well-trained by Summers when it comes to taking pictures. Wait, no, by me. No, by Summers. I went and took pictures of all the important times. Because that was the year of that was the year of the great seatbelt changing controversy back when they still changed cars. Yeah. And this is rapidly turning into memory lane. I don't want to do that. I want to get onto the drivers that I support. That's fun. (laughs) Another driver that I very much like is Sebastian Buemi. But for the very reason that Chris says, I do believe he got a very unfortunate reputation and he's a brilliant driver. He was really, really good in Formula One. I don't think he got a fair shot. But the reason I like him is I I ran into him in the paddock and I went up to him and said, can I ask you a question? And he got this look on his face like, oh my gosh, here we go again. And I said, recently you had a chance to test the new generation of Formula One tires and a Red Bull. Can you tell me your experience of that and what you think about those tires? And he just got the biggest grin on his face. He's like, oh, thank you for asking me that question. And not the one context, that I thought you were going to ask. <laughs> no, for context, the the questions that Formula E drivers get asked the most is like, oh, so what's it like driving in a, an electric car? How does the sound affect how, how you drive in Formula E? And like, okay, fair enough. 90% of the media at a Formula E race are like local. They've never seen Formula E before in their lives. But there's like a small commodity of us regular Formula E journalists who are just sitting there going, oh, for God's sake. Oh, no, no, that was me, though. I was the rubbish journalist at one point. And like I should, I got a press pass and I shouldn't because I'm not anything like you guys when it comes to like reporting and stuff. And I actually said to Bruno Senna about that, that bad luck Bruno meme that was going around, oh, thinking he'd see the fun side of it. He did not. He didn't see the fun side of it at all. And like, and then it was one word answers for the rest of it. And I just scrapped yep. the whole thing. I did talk to Ollie Turvey about the Ollie Turvey hype train because there are a few of us journalists who were like, Ollie Turvey's like the most underrated driver on the grid. And if you gave him a top car, he would be like all over the top of this uh, sport. Uh, but yeah, again, we're going down memory lane. We should be looking ahead. Sorry, so, sorry. I'll, I'll just I finish up. My fault. <laughs> I'll just finish up with I like Sam Bird because I've met him and talked to him for a while and i just think he's a genuinely good human being and how can you not root for someone like that and and robin freens is the other one just because i feel like although it was partially his own fault i I feel like there's another person who didn't quite get the shot that i think he deserved on talent and merit well as we took this little journey down memory lane just a reminder for anyone who's not aware formula e have now uploaded all of the previous races all the previous seasons to both their website and the app so if you want to catch up if you want to pick a favorite driver before this weekend get a little bit of history in see what's what you can go back and rewatch all of the old races as many as you like they're all up there now looking towards the future I want to talk for two seconds about the thing that I'm praying and hoping actually comes to life this time because we have been told time and time again it is coming. My hopes have been raised a multitude of times and that is for attack charge where we would reintroduce pit stops. Cars have to go into their garage, not into their garage, but into their pit. They have to be plugged in to get an extra power mode. And last year was supposed to debut. It got pushed back and back and back. We got a little bit of preseason testing where it was working, and now we're being told that it's going to debut in round six at Misano, Italy. So what do we think? Is this a real deal, or are we being duped again? I mean, I'll just believe it when I see it at this point. I don't mind they keep pushing it back because I want to see it done right. 
Um, so at this point, I'll just it, it happens when it happens, and <laughs> we'll see. I mean, they have run it at testing, um, so we know it kind of works. It's more of an infrastructure issue, I think, at at, at this point, um, especially when you're talking about very confined uh, events that that formally uh, tends to have that are, you know city center very I, compressed events. Uh, this Go is on, such Matt, a come on. It's a frustrating thing. Because the obvious solution in this situation is exactly what Formula E has done in the past. You simply give them the extra capacity and make them park in the pit lane rather than actually using fast charging. And then when you can install the infrastructure, you do that. The one thing uh, that 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 is always most challenging uh, when watching a Formula E race is you lack the kind of strategic influence that a pit stop or changing or having different tire compounds brings or refueling brings to a race. You do, you do have like the attack labs, but it's hard to understand the strategy and, and very difficult to communicate, especially with TV comms in the moment, what people are thinking when they make those choices. So something like having a pit stop where you get extra power and you can choose to use it or not, I think it would really reinvigorate the TV side of watching Formula E. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can tell me that I'm wrong. The quote that I don't think any of you guys would know, but that people who know will know, waiting for attack charge is like waiting for rain in a drought, useless and disappointing. <laughs> Does anybody know that one? No? No, I, I have very little desert experience, so I'll, I'll yield to you. It is from A Cinderella Story with Hilary Duff. So worth why, a watch. Would, why would we have seen that? <laughs> because it's a classic. Who knows? But other teams that we can talk about really quick would be Andretti. They have Jake Dennis. They seem like they want to go back and charge for the title again, but they have as well their new driver in uh, Norman Natto. Yeah, Norman Natto didn't get, I think, a proper crack at at formerly first time around. So I'll be interested to see how he goes in what we know is a team that can win the title. Obviously, Jake Dennis being the reigning world champion uh so and, and i he can't do much worse than what andre lottery did last year that might sound harsh on andre but it's pretty pretty factual i mean even jake was complaining about the fact that he had no rear gunner the entire season uh, whereas obviously it was a very different uh situation with their say rivals and also kind of teammates at porsche because they're a porsche customer uh of course uh, the fact that Jake Dennis and, and Andretti have just signed a, a new multi-year uh, deal, uh, I think, is very much a, a sign of their confidence in working uh, with Porsche over the next few, up until the end of the Gen 3 era, and uh, what Andretti is going to be able to do with that powertrain as well up until the end of the Gen 3 era. So the the, the question is going to be, how is their relationship with Porsche going to play out? Because they are going to be partners up until the end of Gen 3, but we saw how fractious it got last year with with them trying to orchestrate things with the Porsche team uh, and between the Andretti drivers, and it didn't work. And Verline and Dennis were at loggerheads with each other on so many occasions to the point where Dennis was publicly declaring as a sort of uh, having an issue with their drivers and saying we can't protest them because we have a Porsche powertrain, and then of course it culminated at the London E Prix when Michael Andretti stormed into the Porsche garage to have it out with them in the middle of the race. 
that is peak Formula E drama. And I don't know, I kind of want it to continue a little bit in season 10. But doesn't that, that happens in Formula One as well? So that's not so rare. When was the last time, like Williams, when when, when do you see like uh, Williams storm into the Mercedes garage? I've got one. I've got an example. I've got an example. Toto Wolf storming into the the Force India BWD Monaco. I can't, it was a few years back, but basically Ocon was going to be blocking Hamilton. Wolf charged down to the pit lane and by, by a miracle, Ocon didn't block Hamilton. So I think it does happen a bit in Formula One. A little bit. Yeah, but if, if I had a nickel for every single time a team principal was running through the London E-Prix, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. Oh, gotta love the London layout. For anybody who doesn't know, it is both indoors and outdoors. Fun little feature of that one. Well, they never talk about it. We never talk about it. It's... I think it's cool, but then it's not cool when it rains outside and it's bone dry inside. So, you know, mixed results. It is results. if you're in the stands. <laughs> yeah. If you're in the stands, that's great. I, I can't tell you how many times I said that when I was commentating, like this unique hey. indoor-outdoor layout that's <laughs> never before seen all this. So, oh, got to brag about what you can. Yeah. You got to bring attention yeah. however you can. It's a, exactly. it's a great way to do I'm, things. I'm Chris. Did I ever mention that I was a commentator at the... London Prix. Spanners, it is the best thing I've ever done in my life, and yes. I will bring it up at every single given opportunity. You giving me this platform is just giving me a right to talk about it forever. It's pretty cool. To be fair. It Man, is pretty cool. I <laughs> just go oh, on. I started following Chris on TikTok like a week or two ago, something like that. And then for a good solid couple days, all it was was being like, do you want to watch this clip of Chris commentating? Chris commentated. Did you know that he commentated at the Formula E, E pre in London? It was a great <laughs> couple of days of just the highlight reel. I've done two videos about it, and that is way less than I should have probably done about it. But I wasn't in my influencer era at the time. Also, what is up with you only following me like a week ago? Yeah, How long have we weird. known each other? Yeah, that's bad. I didn't know you were on TikTok. I'm also notoriously horrible at following people back. I assume if they're following, if they're on my feed, that I'm following them. That's not the case. I apologize to anybody. I've made this apology a number of times. Sorry if I don't follow you back. I'm horrendous at it. It's not a you thing. It's a me thing. Shall I wrap up on Porsche? (laughs) (laughs) Take it away. Okay. So the Porsche Works team. Uh, Really good last season, obviously. Uh, And uh, I'm sure maybe working a little bit closer with Andretti and, you know, maybe more they can utilize that speed that they showed throughout a lot of last season. I think the big difference this year, though, is that uh, even though they've still got Pascal Verlaine and Antonio Felix da Costa at the wheel, uh, da Costa, at the request of Porsche, is focusing solely on Formula E rather than combining his season with uh, the World Endurance Championship hypercar campaign with jota so one program for da costa this year how will he feel about that i don't think he's very happy about it i mean that's the one thing with formula e is that this year they have the berlin conflict with weck and a huge Mm. chunk of the grid i don't know if they've solved that in any way shape or form but when both calendars was announced everyone was counting the number of drivers that had those two contracts that they would have to be balancing and trying to figure out who would be prioritizing what i haven't heard a follow-up on that but i imagine that we will start hearing who's prioritizing what pretty soon 
Yeah, because uh, it, it was all down to individual contracts and mm-hmm. who's got works deals that maybe take priority over others, depending on you know who they're with and in, in which category. Obviously, the famous example of this was uh, the the clash that stopped Sebastian Boemi being champion in, in season three because he was obliged to race for Toyota yep. in the World Endurance Championship and missed out on the, the, the first ever New York race, the double header there, um, where even though Degrassi didn't do too great in the in those races, it undoubtedly made quite a bit of difference. Uh, and it, it, it's kind of unavoidable, uh, especially with Formula E wanting to compact its season into January through to July. Uh, and then, of course, you've got things like uh, was it Jakarta tends to clash. or It's on the same weekend as the Le Mans test day as well. So a lot of those drivers end up getting on a flight from Jakarta on Saturday evening over to Le Mans. To, to to get there Sunday morning to drive a car uh, hella jet lagged so um, yeah there's there's going to be there's going to be some decisions to be to be made uh, in the next few weeks decisions to be made great content on the internet of all of those drivers being tired and on the same flights together pay attention on Twitter that seems to be where Formula E chaos kind of reigns supreme but Squeaks is not happy about it. <laughs> He's like, wait, you can't end the program now. No, no, Squeaks is like, no, we're on threads. Go to threads. We want nothing to do with Musk. It's an anti-protest from Squeaks. Oh, yes. Uh, He surprisingly hates Formula E. I will say he does not like those cars. He screams at the television every single time it comes on. Why, Why are you mad right now? Why? What do you need? All righty. Well. We seem to have touched on all of the teams. We spoke a little bit. Oh, no, we have one more team. Chris is wiggling his we, fingers at me. Who have I forgotten? We have the DS teams. Oh, the, yeah. the, the The ones that are kind of the same powertrain, but not actually the same powertrain because they're homologated separately, but they're basically the same thing because they come from the same automotive group. Uh, so that hasn't changed. DS Penske won a race uh, last year. Uh, Stoffel van Dorn still and Jean-Eric Verne there not a lot going on but maybe some improvements have been made to try and push things forward the changes at Maserati uh, though are very interesting because they've got Jehan de Ruvula coming in from Formula 2 so it'd be very interesting to see how he gets on uh, amongst that he does have some Formula E experience as test and reserve driver for Mahindra from last year but the bit i think is interesting is they're about to have their fourth new team principal in five or six years because they had Susie wolf who then became ceo and you had jerome d'ambrosio come in d'ambrosio started doing stuff with mercedes so they had james rossiter come in when they went to uh, become uh, maserati and now james rossiter has left the team as well and we don't really know who's going to be taking his place yeah, and we're a week before the season starts, and there's going to be some sort of interim team principal there as well. So there's, I, I feel like there's some question marks around Maserati at the moment. I, I would just suggest that perhaps the brains of most teams aren't necessarily in the uh, team principal's head. Potentially not. Well, wrapping it up. We've talked a little bit about all of the teams. We've talked about tech advancements. We've touched a little bit on the calendar, mentioned a couple races like Portland and London. There's a whole bunch of places we are going to. Italy this year is going to be in Misano instead of Rome. So going back to some favorites, going to some new tracks, it is going to be electrifying. But I'm... 
Oh my goodness, this cat. That was shocking. Oh, we will be recording race reviews on Saturday's post-race. So as per usual, we may not always be right, but we will be first. Make sure to follow us on all of these social media platforms you can possibly think of. Twitter, threads, TikTok, it is all over the place. Our personal channels will all be in the captions. It has been a delight chatting with you all. Squeaks McGee has enjoyed causing some chaos as per usual. I'm surprised and shocked he has never turned anything off. Thankfully, that has not happened this time. We will be back after the inaugural start of the season in Mexico. We will see you all in a couple days. That is so Formula E, though. Oh, my God. That is so Formula E. Oh, my God. That is, like, perfect production Formula E values right there. I can... If I edit that out or do a do-over, Squeaks will never learn. So, no, all stays. He went to have a nap at a weird time today. Usually he'd be sleeping during this time of day, but we'll see.